This is episode 80. In this episode, Cal OES disaster recovery. And for their leader, it's personal. From, you know, Florida all the way to American Samoa. And I lived through Hurricane Katrina. So everything I do, my lens is losing everything. My lens is losing my entire community. Ryan Buras has led the recovery mission for some of the worst recent disasters. He and his team have their sights set on getting California's survivors through their own living nightmares. You know, I have some of the best staff in the state. They wake up every day knowing they have a mission to serve, and they know that if they don't come to work, a lot of people are going to suffer. Just what is involved in recovery? Where and when do you start? And what should survivors know right now? Once they see those paint cans gone, once they see that they can go to their parcel and see all their things that were burned to the ground gone, it gives you that sense of hope that they can start rebuilding and hire a contractor. Hope on the road to recovery with Ryan Buris right now. So as mentioned, we are in the studio here, our media room at Cal OES with Ryan Buris, who is the Deputy Director of Recovery here at Cal OES. Ryan, man, you have been busy today. Thanks for coming and stopping by. Glad to be here. It's, been a, it's been a long year. Yes, <laughs> it has. We've uh, put a whole year into about six months, I think. Uh, it has been crazy. So we're here to talk to you really about your directorate, Recovery. It's a big umbrella. A lot goes on underneath that. In my opinion, you're probably the busiest directorate in the entire agency. You are the directorate that handles these long-term projects that get communities back on to their feet, right? And that's pretty much what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's start with the very simple stuff. Um, describe what the recovery directorate or the recovery section's role is when it comes to a disaster. So I think that's hard. So we actually are there before the disaster, because as you said, my directorate encompasses a lot. It encompasses, for instance, mitigation. Mitigation um, starts before a disaster. You can build your communities you know, to a way that you can prevent losses and losses of life. Uh, during a disaster, there are several phases of that early on, just high level. You know, a disaster comes and there's containment, and then we're responsible for sheltering, uh, making sure people uh, have food uh, to eat, places to go. We also work with the local governments uh, on the damage assessments, and that's very important for all of us, particularly locals, because based off those damage assessments, we can get declaration requests from the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Later on in the disaster, uh, we start uh, assisting locals with uh, finding temporary housing for people that lost their homes. We work with the, with the locals to help repair their roads and their bridges and schools, and uh, we're there through the end. So unlike response, which typically is 30 to 60 days, this year has been a little longer. Uh, it's been all six months. Uh, recovery lasts a year, and years, a decade, because it, you, know, you don't build your community one day and you don't rebuild it in one day. So it's a long haul. So that's probably a high level 101 of recovery. Putting things into perspective, we've had a number of wildfires this year. Sort of describe that process, you know, once the containment of a wildfire happens or really any natural disaster, what is that process then for recovery? So I think there's two parts of it. One is if, you, if you're talking about the local community, the first process is working with them and getting that damage assessment, looking at sending our teams to the field with their teams, looking at damages for public uh, uh, infrastructure, whether it's to schools, bridges, to homes, 
and then working that up and seeing if we can get a federal declaration through FEMA. On the individual side, you know, the process starts a little before the containment phase, uh, but when it is contained, it's, it's going to be start to depopulate the uh, shelter to get people back into more of a transitional uh, state of housing. A lot of these communities, as you know, have lost everything. There is no supermarket anymore. Uh, so how do we wrap around with the locals to ensure uh, that we can assist them uh, with uh, that? So I think there's two prongs. I think there's the individual component of it. Um, and then there's the public assistance side of that. So, and we're there from that containment phase on, you know, onward. Containment uh, doesn't necessarily mean that in the case of a wildfire that the flames are out. Right. It just means that, you know, they could still be burning. Like they but, are today. Like they are today. And yet they're just not spreading. They're not going bigger. So this, in a lot of ways, allows you, as someone who's in recovery, to begin that recovery process even before the fire is out. And that's important because there are certain things you can do before the flames are out. Absolutely. For instance, in pretty much almost every county here this year, we've opened local assistance centers. And the, right behind it, you can still see the smoke. Uh, and this allows people that lost everything or are just evacuated and they haven't been able to get back to their particular property and they can go and uh, to one place, even during COVID, and you know, replace their driver's license that they might have lost. To go speak with the Department of Assurance, uh, which is extremely important. And it's one of the first calls you should make if you lose everything is, is that Department of Insurance, is to work with that local community to determine uh, where is my home, what are those next steps in my local community? What is being done with, with uh, schools? Uh, you know, there's a lot of schools that were, you know, had to be closed, not for COVID, but also for, for uh, fires. And that local assistance center is really one of those things that we can set up locally that touches the individual, you know, while the fire is still uh, being uh, put out. And even during COVID, you know, one of the first things we wanted to do here was make sure that we don't lose that human touch. You know, everybody talks virtual, but, you know, when you lose everything, uh, calling 1-800-something, you know, just sometimes doesn't work, right? Yeah. So if we can have a safe place to go within, you know, COVID protocol and have those resources that those people so direly need, that was something that we, you know, did here. And the local centers, the local assistance centers have, you know, like definitely helped. Part of that, as a disaster survivor, in the case of a wildfire, one of the many that are happening across the state, they're gonna find out about an ROE, mm. a right of entry. What is an ROE and what is its significance? So the right of entry farm allows us, when we go into a debris mission, a debris mission, i.e., in this case, after a fire, um, when it's large enough scale, the, uh, the uh, state will come in and, and will assist the local community with the debris removal of that personal home. And a right of entry gives us, it's that legal form that gives us the right to allow our contractors onto that property uh, to do the work of, of you know, removing the ash, the foundations, the car. Uh, and that really you know, begins the recovery uh, for that person. Right. So if you had to convince somebody, and I'm sure you've had to do this before, what would you tell them when it comes to whether or not they're on the fence about signing that ROE? So the right of entry form really when we go to the local community, and, and the local community is the ones that, that uh, collects these, right? We just give the language, this is what the state program is gonna be. The local community is the one that collects the information. And some people are hesitant of saying, um, I can 
if you think back to 18, I can sell my trees and make all this money, right? So, or I can remove the debris myself with my own contractor and I'm gonna save a lot of money. Uh, the state program, we don't charge you anything other than collect any proceeds that are remaining that were tied to your debris policy. That's what we collect because we want duplication of our benefits. I think a lot of people do not realize how difficult it is to properly remove fire debris. There's a lot of containments in the soil, in the foundations, in cars. So it's even if you have a tractor that that might have survived the fire, you know, just putting you know your hat on and driving in and picking up the debris is not the safest thing to do. And that's why local ordinances are in place, right? They have public health emergencies uh, for this um, uh, direct thing. And some people do not sign the right of entry and they opt out of our program, uh, which is fine. And they have to go to the county and get their own work plan approved hire their own contractor using either their own money or whatever was available for uh, insurance. But, you know, in, in, in the case of, you know, fire debris and, and, or any debris mission that we do as the state, it really is uh, a program that we do not charge you uh, anything other than collecting the insurance proceeds. And I think we do it the best in the nation. I know we do it the quickest. We do not want to sit around and wait. Our goal, and it's especially in recovery, is to have that recovery happen. It does not happen unless we pick up the debris. In the case of a state program, it starts with that ROE. I have seen the debris removal process in action, uh, whether we're talking about 2017, 2018, 2019, Santa Rosa, Sonoma County, the Thomas Fire down in Santa Barbara, any of these recent ones at Paradise. Seen it happen, it is an amazing process to watch what amounts to a community left in rubble with all kinds of toxic materials in and around the ground, all of a sudden transformed in a relatively short period of time. I would not want, as a homeowner, to have to do that on my own. When I've seen how fast it can get done and how thoroughly it gets done, and at no cost to these homeowners, to me, I would say, have at it. I would want nothing to do with that. Just from, from my own perspective, I would advise anybody who is on the fence to really look hard at the advantages and disadvantages. And I think the advantages are going to far outweigh the disadvantages. That's my two cents worth. Absolutely. So Ryan, right now, obviously, for the last six, eight months, we've been under this pandemic umbrella, this dark cloud of a pandemic. Normally, you work with the counties to help them uh, through their processes. Right now, under this pandemic, what are you telling or what are you talking about when it comes to best practices for collecting these ROEs? It's a great point. Typically, you would have a, a right of entry center. Uh, we would assist that local community staffing that center. People would come in by the hundreds or thousands, like in Campfire, and you would collect those, that information and it would be passed. COVID, obviously, uh, it's a different challenge. And uh, the best practices, we're actually doing them now in Butte County for the tree mission. Uh, we're collecting right of entries now in the tune of you know, several thousand. And uh, Butte County has done several things that have worked. They, has, they actually set up a call center. People can call in. They mail them the right of entry. They can sign that the right of entry in. They can mail back the documents uh, that has been accepted. They are allowing people to still come in on a case-by-case -case basis. So, so if you have an appointment, you can still go in. 
in some counties now, one thing we're talking with on these future counties, which by the way is gonna be over 20 since the last, since the August fires and, and you know, to where we sit today, is programs like DocuSign. DocuSign is a legal document, and as long as the, that local government allows that form of signature, it's a great way to get some of these documents signed. It's, it's, and it's extremely quick. And they're smartphone capable, so you can you know, be having dinner with your wife and kids, unfortunately probably at home, not at a restaurant. <laughs> Uh, but you can get an email and you can sign it right there on your phone and you're uh, entered into the system. And uh, that's one thing. If, if, if COVID has done anything for the recovery process, the innovation that, that's behind that is going to prove to be uh, a big win. So we did get a win out of COVID. And if anybody has ever bought a home, nowadays you pretty much sign everything using DocuSign. It's all PDFs and you just click, 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 and it's done. It's done. It saves your rest, right? It does. Those 50 pages. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, for sure. So the uh, debris process, the recovery process when we're talking about cleaning up all these properties, once you've got the ROEs, you go in, there's a couple of phases. Tell me about phase one. We'll find out about that in just a moment. Regardless of the phase, Ryan and his team are dedicated to the cause. You know, I have some of the best staff in the state. They wake up every day knowing they have a mission to serve, and they know that if they don't come to work, a lot of people are gonna suffer. After all, Ryan knows what it's like to survive a disaster and what it takes to push forward. From, you know, Florida all the way to American Samoa. And I lived through Hurricane Katrina, so everything I do, my lens is losing everything. My lens is losing my entire community. Back to our conversation with Ryan Buris, Cal OES Deputy Director of Recovery. So phase one, you don't opt in. After the fire is, is uh, burned, uh, phase one is the household hazardous waste. So those are items like your paint cans, your cleaning supplies, your smaller propane tanks. Uh, and we will go in um, using um, you know state agencies or uh, and in case of this year, we have you know a, a federal agency assisting us as well. And we actually go in and just remove that. And we work with the counties closely. We get the property addresses. We just go in and remove that because it's so hazardous, not only to the environment, but also to the person, right? Um, so that's phase one. Phase two is the ROE process. Phase two is that next phase. Phase one happens fairly quickly. Um, the August fires, I believe we're already done uh, with uh, most of the cleanup. Uh, for phase one. Phase two is when we have to get a contract in place and we go in and remove the rest. So that's your ash, your burnt car, your foundations. That's the process you were just talking about where, you know, it's not just a dump truck and a bulldozer, it's also an air quality monitoring. It's also a water truck to make sure that the ash footprint doesn't expand. That all happens during phase two. And phase two is the completion of the whole process. That is getting the property ready to be rebuilt. Absolutely, that is the, you know, there's several stages of hope in recovery for the individual that lost everything. Once they see those paint cans gone, once they see that that they can go to their parcel and, and see all their things that were burnt to the ground gone, it gives you that sense of hope that they can start rebuilding and hire a contractor, yes. Clean slate. Clean slate. It takes an army to do what you do. How many staff do you have working under recovery? Not enough. Never enough. <laughs> never enough. It's kind of like money. You never have enough. Never, <laughs> <laughs> never enough. Uh, we have several hundred steady state employees. When you start to a mission like this, you know, everything kind of falls under my uh, uh, department. 
So that quickly expands during a recovery phase to include the contractors that are removing debris. At that point, you're a lot of people. I don't know the number, but I know steady state. Uh, we have several hundred, and you know we're still you know working 17 and 18, and working all all of those instances and rebuilding. You know it takes a while to get rebuilt to where you were or built back better. On top of everything that we're currently doing today, my staff is heavily involved in work from five, six, seven years ago. So they're tired. Uh, I think uh, they're definitely tired. And uh, but you know I have some of the best staff in the state. They wake up every day knowing they have a mission to serve uh, the people of California, and they know that you know if 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 they don't come to work, a lot of people are going to suffer. And I think that's that's a, a testament of just to the team that I have. It's got to be very satisfying for those folks. I believe so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you're looking to hire more folks, which I I believe you are, I am. I, you They're are posted today. I believe. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. What are some of these professional traits that you're looking for that are desirable for those folks who want to work in recovery? You know, so it depends. I guess it depends on the department. If public assistance, we tend to hire people that have some sort of construction experience or engineering type uh, schooling. Individual assistance is more of the uh, soft skills because uh, you're dealing with you know the individual. Uh, uh, but to be honest, you know, emergency management's still fairly new. I mean, that curriculum is what less than two decades old. Mm -hmm. They're still building this. We're still learning what recovery is. There's no playbook for recovery. So I think what we're what I what I look for is somebody that that's excited about not knowing what tomorrow is. I think that's a huge skill set uh, to have. I look for somebody that is energetic, has great customer service skills. Everything that we do touches someone, whether it's the person, the elected, the county, state staff, secretary level people, right? So the customer service skill is extremely important. And you know, someone at the end of the day uh, that just loves waking up and just helping people. I think that's uh, a metric. You know, regardless of what degree you have, a degree doesn't give you great customer service, right? A degree doesn't give you that spirit that all of California needs from uh, recovery. I would imagine too there's some crossover into the personal traits. Uh, you know, you're talking about customer service, but it seems to me like uh, maybe empathy, you know, depending, if, especially if you're working face to face with some of these survivors. What are some of the other traits personally that? You know, may help someone. So, as you know, my past, I was I I was on the other side of the coin, right? I lost my home and 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 a disaster, and during my process, which is a, it's not important here, but one thing I didn't want to hear was, oh, I understand what you're saying, right? Or I feel your loss. I think that person that loses everything just wants somebody that just has that skill of listening. Just listen, just sit in front of them and just listen write down what they need and follow through. And that's so critical. Don't, don't think that you have to save the day in that moment. Just listen to them, understand that they just lost everything, whatever that is, and just make sure you follow through. If you listen and follow through, uh, that's, a great, that's a great soft skill to have that is not something you can really gauge in an interview, right? So This sounds like a very demanding line of work. How demanding is it? I don't think you can put it in words. I think, especially, I mean, you just mentioned 17, 18, 19 this year. Uh, I think every month I, I tell my team, I don't think we'll ever do this again. And I'm right, because we're doing more the next month. 
every month is just something new. And the Mandans is, is uh, look, we live in a very large state. We have some of the best leaders in the nation. They expect from us great customer service skills to, to assist with the uh, Californians that lost everything. And that has, uh, that has a stress level, right? Uh, every day needs to be excellent. And we, I, I tell my team every day, let's just strive to be excellent. And if we could just wake up and strive to be excellent, give good, good customer service, it kind of deflects all the pressure that's on us uh, every single day. What's the most difficult aspect of your job? So my job, um, I wouldn't say my, I would put recovery the most difficult thing is, is, is understanding the process, whether that is the individual, whether that is the local, or whether that is one of my employees. Recovery is so complex. Every recovery mission is different from the last. Communities have recovered from previous fires where the current process now is different than what it was. So just going through that process and understanding what are the steps, who, who are the players, who do we speak with, what can and I cannot say, <laughs> right, on our side, because one bad piece of information you never get back. On the individual side is, once again, under, understanding the process. Who do I call first? Do people see me? And on the, on the county side, it's, you know, what have, have I done everything I need to do to be in the quote-unquote queue uh, to uh, get some assistance? So I think, I think process, and it, it's, it's all the way, it starts from the state level all the way down to the individual, I think is probably the most difficult thing. It sounds like that some of these more difficult aspects of recovery are also, if you can master them, the keys to success. Yes. Are there any other things that you think about that maybe would be the keys to success looking back on some of these previous missions that you've worked? I think there's a couple of keys, particularly from the recovery side, when we speak to the community and to the individual. One is proper communication. Just communicate, uh, like we're doing today in this podcast, right? Let's get information out. Information is power. It's powerful. There's nothing worse than uh, having someone not getting the information, because at that point, they start doubting you, right? So. If you want to be successful in recovery, uh, and to, I think in any area, uh, you have to have uh, proper communication. Reach out as often as you can. You should, they should have no surprises, right? Um, so I think that is a key. And I think the, the other one, and this is going to sound uh, maybe weird, but I think, you know, just be honest. And what I mean by that is, you know, if, if, if somebody asks a question and the answer is no, tell them no. But... You know, hey, but there's ways to, but there's these other programs available. There's these other things that we can do. Don't say yes and lingers that recovery on, right? So if you can be honest and just communicate, 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 um, I think that's, that's two keys to success for recovery. So I've heard you mention public assistance and individual assistance. Describe the differences between the two. IAPA, that's what we call it. But to the survivors and their communities, it's all about progress and rebuilding their lives. It really is a program that we do not charge you anything other than collecting the insurance proceeds. And I think we do it the best in the nation. I know we do it the quickest. Ryan takes it seriously and personally. He's helped hundreds of thousands of people get down that road to recovery. From, you know, Florida all the way to American Samoa. And I lived through Hurricane so everything I do, 
My lens is losing everything. My lens is losing my entire community. Let's continue our chat with Ryan Buris. I'll keep it 101 for you. All right, please so, do. <laughs> individual assistance deals with the individual, right? So it's that individual person, it's the individual component of that house. So, and we have programs um, for the individual, whether they lost their home or they have unemployment, they lost their job. That's, that's all the gaps and, and, and not gaps, but dealing with the individual need. Public assistance is where the individual goes or what they ride on. It's the roads, the bridges, the schools, the churches, the commercial side of things. You know, what keeps that community together are those restaurants and schools and churches and the roads to get there. That's public assistance. And without the people, you don't have that. So that's my 101, uh, what the difference is. Because of that, there are different programs for each type of assistance. Absolutely. And there's different people, as I mentioned before, there's different people that work in those those areas, right? There's public assistance, that's where more of my engineers are and civil engineers and construction managers, project managers are. Um, and then from my individual side, it's more the people that, you know, are, are uh, you know, have that empathy towards people, listening skills, uh, follow through. Um, uh, so we're organized that way as well. When we're talking about recovery and once the recovery process has begun, are the residents allowed to return? At what point can they return, I guess? So that's something we don't control here at OES. Okay. So that'll be controlled at the local level. Uh, that's why you always hear us say, um, you know, listen to your local authority, listen to your fire, listen to your uh, police. They're the ones that control access. They're the ones that control what's open, what's closed. If it is closed, don't go back. There's a reason for that. And they make sure that they give you proper communication uh, uh, when to return. So. Uh, that's all led at the locally uh, led level. Okay, all right. You've got a lot of folks out there who, even right now, are wanting to get their recovery process moving. What do these folks here in California need to know right now? So on the individual side, right now, um, go visit a LAC if you haven't done so. Contact your local um, um, authority to see what is, if you can go back. Um, uh, what are the programs locally that they have. Uh, I would also let them know right now to let your local community know and leaders know what your gaps are, because when they have gaps, it gets up to the state level and we can assist uh, them with that. Right now, call your insurance company. Um, if you have insurance, that is definitely, uh, your should be one of your first phone calls that you make. I would call FEMA. Most places have been declared. And even if, it, even if you haven't, been declared yet maybe you will be in the future so pick up the phone and call FEMA that's another one and you know just on the human component you know call your family and friends let them know you're okay lean, lean on them during this process uh, that's that's extremely important I also understand that the SBA is also very involved yes the Small Business Administration is, is involved when you register FEMA they actually give you whether well, you're actually referred to SBA uh, automatically and it's, it's, it's a really good program. They have low interest loans right now. It's less than 2%. I think it's 1.1 for homeowners. You can actually roll in your current loan that you have from the home that might have burned down into the new loan, uh, which is probably more than 1 point something percent, right? So, uh, and also if you have businesses, uh, well, if you have a business that you lost a business, you can also register and get some business uh, uh, relief back so we can get that business back up and running. So it's sort of a misnomer in a way for a lot of these survivors. They hear small business administration, they may think, I don't have a business. Well, how are they gonna help me? But 
they're the key conduit for their help. They are the key conduit. That is the FEMA right now for these disasters provides you, if you lost everything and you're eligible for every program, 35,500. That's not gonna rebuild your home, right? Um, uh, it'll, it'll assist you in some way, but it's not gonna rebuild your home. When you get referred to SBA, um, you're able to get, I believe it's $200,000, uh, up to $200,000 on a loan, very low interest loan um, that you can move, uh, you know, you can put towards uh, rebuilding that home. That's powerful stuff. That right. is powerful stuff. All right, Ryan, one more question for you. Describe some of your most memorable moments, you know, being deployed to some of the disasters here in California or anywhere in your career. Well, I can spend two hours on a podcast for that. I've deployed quite a <laughs> we bit. We may have to have a second one for that then. From you know Florida all the way to American Samoa in my career, and I lived through Hurricane Katrina, so you know that definitely stuck with me. In fact, you know everything I do, um, my lens is losing everything. My lens is losing my entire community. My you know half the state uh, was you know demolished uh, because of Katrina. Um, so. Uh, my family was, you know, displaced, and that was 15 years ago. No one is back all in one community setting like they were, right? I mean, those are the those are the mental aspects of this. That's why they call disasters, right? So that definitely is one that that will always stick with me, and it's why I wake up every day, work 15 hours a day, ensuring I do everything I can um, so where people, you know, can have a better recovery. Um, some powerful things and. 17 to now, uh, while I'm uh, here in California, whether I'm at the state employee as I am now or after I was with FEMA, I think going to Sonoma and Napa the other day, being in 17 and seeing them destroyed, seeing those schools burned, and then driving back just recently and seeing the same community, same county hit again, uh, driving through Butte where we just removed over 11,000 parcels and removed phase two debris and people are rebuilding back and then they lose several thousand homes again. I mean, that, that sticks with you. That's, that's tough stuff. I think during COVID, you know, who would have, I would never have thought my wildest dreams. I would have worked with federal and state and local leaders in making a former arena into a makeshift hospital to support, in this case, Sacramento County for COVID response, right? And it's still open uh, today. And I think, you know, if, if, if anything, something's happening, whether it's, you know, you can call it what you want, things are getting hotter and wetter, flood season hasn't started yet, right? Uh, look at 17 and 18, that stuck with me, the fires down south, and then we had that awful mudslide uh, that just killed over 20 people and some people weren't recovered. You know, this is, those are things that, those are things that drive me towards preaching mitigation. Those are those things that you know drive me to in this recent disaster disasters that we had this year, you know, 17 and 18. It was 18, early 18. We had the mudslide. It stuck with me so much on this uh, current disaster. I keep stressing. Let's make sure the county has their evacuation plan down. Make sure it's heard. Make sure we at OES is assisting that local level to get that message out. Make sure we're doing everything we can now to put uh, any mitigation effort up to prevent the loss of life and property. And I don't think I would have had that lens, that lens if I didn't have the, and I mean this, the, the pleasure and opportunity to be in the state, helping the state rebuild from things like this. Ryan Buras, Deputy Director of Recovery here at Cal OES. 
Good luck with the rest of your uh, recovery process. You've got uh, an endless supply of work ahead of you. And uh, hopefully we'll get some folks, you know, who may be interested in coming to work for you at Cal OES if they hear this podcast. So folks, if you think you can handle it and if you think you've got what it takes, Ryan would love to hear from you. Am I right? Absolutely right. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Right. We need everyone to apply. There you go. <laughs> All right, we'll let you back at it. Thanks for taking time to talk to us. Thank you. All right, take care. Disaster recovery is arduous. It's expensive, and believe it or not, it can take years. The Northridge earthquake is, of course, a perfect example. Get this. It took nearly 25 years to officially close the books on that disaster. That quake struck on January 17, 1994. It killed 58 people and injured more than 9,000 and damaged or destroyed more than 82,000 buildings in Southern California. So think about that. So my thanks again to Ryan Buris, Cal OES Deputy Director for Recovery for squeezing us in among the endless tasks he and his team are handling right now. Keep up the great work. Hey, if you enjoy this podcast, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and be sure to tell your friends and colleagues, we'd love to have them along. And if you already subscribe, thank you. For questions, comments, and suggestions, email me, media at caloes.ca.gov. That's media at caloes.ca.gov. For everyone here at the Cal OES Office of Public Information, I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.